When your child is struggling, as a parent, you need support. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I'm at the 46th Annual Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium. This is in Colorado Springs, and once again, I get my hands on the experts. The men and women who are speaking at this conference, the, the, the other people having booths here, this is where all the experts in the industry of mental health and addiction and recovery gather to share the information they have, and I wanna get it into your hands. So thank you for joining me on this week's episode of Beyond Risk and Back. When you have a kid who's struggling and you start to get support, um, one of the things that is, discover, that, that is discovered by the parent who has a kid that's struggling is that the struggle that the parents have been going through is, actually has names. That, that you have been showing signs and symptoms of certain things, and parents think they're going crazy, when in truth, they're, they're dealing with other stuff. So uh, uh, Jen Place, Jennifer Place, you're, you're here with us. Your booth is right across. You're, you're here representing um, Colorado Addiction... Association of Addiction Professionals. Colorado Association of Addiction Professionals, but you are also in private practice. Yes. Where? Uh, Denver. Okay. And what, what, who do you work with personally? Um, typically f- individuals who are struggling with substance use disorders, adults specifically. Okay. Okay. So now we're talking to parents on my show. These are parents. Right. They got kids who are struggling and you had, you had told my staff you wanted to talk about parent burnout. Yes. From a personal perspective, um, being in the field and working with individuals and families, you know, for 15 years. And part of that was working with uh, employee assistance programs. EAPs. Yes, EAPs and working with working professionals who are struggling with dealing with the sandwich generation, trying to raise their kids, trying to take care of aging and ailing parents and the hearing about some of the burnout that they had experienced and, and recent, more recently moving into that space myself personally. Um, so professionally, I have all this knowledge on what we could be doing and should be doing. And, right. you know, the, the little person waving their finger in front of you is what I, you know, see my, see in my own head. <laughs> but now I am the parent of a 15-year-old, 13-year-old, and 10-year-old Two of those kiddos have emotional dysregulation issues and attention issues. And so getting to this point has been a huge struggle. And now we're just broaching the the experimentation stage where drugs and alcohol come on the scene. And my husband and I have had a lot of conversations as well as some of our friends of we're already exhausted and we're just getting into what's supposed to be the tough time. But because of everything we're dealing with, with our kids, you know, since they were babies, um, were burnt out. And having worked with professionals, you know, and trying to coach them on what their next stage of their career is going to be and trying to help them take care of themselves in a healthy way and shift gears right. and find a new passion. Professionally, you, there are avenues to do that. Professionally, you have options. I can't get rid of my kids. <laughs> 
you know, I guess legally I probably could, but you know, no parent is going to go there. But right. something I've really grappled with is that people don't talk about this. We talk as professionals, we talk about burnout all the time. We go to weekend workshops on it. We do trainings. We hear, you know, there's trainings for managers, how to recognize this in your employees, how to revitalize the workplace. There's all this programming for that, yet there's no support for parents. There just seems to be a lot more pressure and expectations on what we should be doing and how we're messing our kids up and you know all of these things. And right. it's, that is just defeating. And so personally, I find myself kind of at this precipice of what do we do and how do I still try and be there enough in the way that my kids need me to show up and be authentic in that in any way possible. One of the, when, when I was dealing with this with a group of parents that I was working with that just kept saying, I'm just so burnt out, I'm, I'm, you know, and I feel guilty that I'm burned out because my child needs me worse now than ever. And this is when kids are already in a facility with us and their kids are burnt out. And I went online to start looking up, like wh what is there? You know, what are, some, what are the 10 steps and everything? And I found, I stumbled across this test that they give nurses. <laughs> and I was looking through the questions of the test and I was reading it. And I was like, a parent would say yes to every single one of these. So I took out, the, I copied it, I plagiarized the hell out of it. <laughs> I took, I, I put it in a Word doc. I took out the word nurse and put in the word parent and gave it to parents. And they were answering 70 to 100% on average they were saying yes to every single one of the things. And if you answer five or six of them, Craig, you have what's called caretaker's burden. And as I looked into that, you know, we're talking about, oh, you have an invalid parent and they're, they're dying, they've got dementia, they're living in their house, you're changing their diapers. You know, you've got, you've got a child with Down syndrome. And there was nothing about parents of, of addicts or parents of kids who are, or parents of kids who are really struggling with dyslexia or ADHD or bipolar or, and it's the same thing. And it and literally, it had a word, it had a name, it has diagnostics, it has assessments and it has solutions. And then it, it blew me away and it blew away the parents I was working with. Why? Why have we provided this for everybody? Firefighters, nurses, doctors, police officers. Why are we missing parents? I don't know. That's a good question. And it's something that I think there's certainly stigma, I think. In, or you mentioned guilt. Yeah. There's certainly that feeling of guilt and shame of, oh gosh, how could I possibly admit in public to another human being that you know, sometimes I don't want to be a parent. Yeah. I would love to be able to just shake that off sometimes and just get that relief. But at the same time, we have this conflict of, I can't do that. You know, I love my kids too much. I know I can do this. I can, you know, pull myself up on my bootstraps and go advocate in school another day or go back to court or, you know, all of these things. And, um, but it's exhausting. Two days into our parent weekend, one of the parents will finally have courage to say, I... I'm so ashamed at how much relief I felt when I dropped my kid off at this facility. Oh, absolutely. And every parent in the room starts to cry because finally someone says it, everybody's been feeling it. Absolutely. And especially in that realm, you know, where you've been worrying about that really is my child alive or dead and what are they doing that's putting their life at risk and taking them to a safe place has to be an ultimate relief. And the guilt 
And then you and I know being professionals, guilt and shame leads to the, the trigger cycle that starts people wanting to use. Absolutely. And so now we've got parents who say, I need to relax. I'm going to have two glasses of wine and binge watch the, the Witcher series. And you know. Right. Or check out playing Candy Crush on my phone yeah. because it's easier than, you know, having a conversation with my kids or talking about their day and going through the emotional roller coaster that happens once that conversation starts. We just stop engaging. And that's un, certainly unhealthy and unsupportive in our end game goals for what we want for our kids. What you just said is so important. That glass of wine and binge watching a TV series that has a lot of sex and violence, um, you know, uh, uh, getting into Candy Crush and, and doing that for two hours. Um, Sorry to say this bluntly, those are maladaptive coping strategies. Uh, so is smoking pot. And, and this, these are things that are changing your brain chemistry and leading you to a place of numbness so you don't have to deal. Just like alcohol. Yep. So what's left? I don't, what, do we, what do we let parents do? What do we say? Here's, like, let's give them some of the other... What's the other side of this? Because we're also looking at... We have to ask the question when a parent finally comes to you and says, I'm so burnt. And we're about to download a list of 10 things they should do differently so that they're not burnt. And as professionals, we, ha we don't ask, do you have the energy for change? Because you're so exhausted. The work that's in front of you, do you have the energy for it? So then what? What do we do? Great question. <laughs> And as, as a parent, we don't know the answer. But we're expected to. And, and, as we, a, and we feel guilty for not knowing the answer. Right. Okay, well, as a professional, what do you tell them? Now I'm the parent, and I've come to you and said, I'm burnt. I can't stand this kid. I want to strangle him. And, and, I, and I don't know what to do. I would be talking about self-care strategies, asking, you know, what do you do? When do you feel that you have the opportunity to recharge. What does that look like? When's the last time you had a break from your parent, from your child? I, I used to go swimming every morning before work, but now because my kid's been running away, I don't have time to do that. I'm, I'm exhausted. Yeah. And there's the validation piece. So validating that, letting them know that that's normal, that's expected, and sometimes directing them to a place where they can talk to other parents about that. So right out of the gate, the three strategies that you've given is self-care, validating my current experience, mm -hmm. and then connecting me with support. Yep. That's intense. I mean, that's, that's huge. Yeah. We'll get back to our guest in just a second. I got to make a quick shout out to two organizations that have really helped out Fire Mountain and Beyond Risk and Back at our booth here at the Winter Symposium. First is Guayaki Yerba Mate. They have given us cases and cases of this amazing, incredible drink to hand out to other people, to get people in the industry of mental health and addiction to understand the benefits of Guayaki Yerba Mate and brain recovery, brain building. I could, I could spend an entire episode, which I did, by the way, with one of the co-founders, David Carr. So go listen to that Beyond Risk and Back episode. 
And you can always Google benefits, scientific benefits, scientific research behind Yerba Mate, and you will understand why we give this drink out to people in the industry. This is a hidden gem that is getting more and more popular. So please support us being supported by Guayaki Yerba Mate and go pick yourself up a can and get some for your teens. And then second, I need to thank Psychotherapy Associates Winter Symposium people themselves for letting us be here and broadcasting this show and helping us email all of the speakers to get the information, the, 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 the new cutting edge research in brain development, addiction recovery, mental health. And I get to interview these incredible people and get their information into your heads, parents. So thank you to Winter Symposium and thank you to Guayaki. Okay, let's get back to our guest. I think we've done the three most important things is, is uh, like we said before, we find out what does self-care look like just to get them to remember. Well, I used to, and we hear that. I used to love to do whatever. Yeah. Swim, yes. draw, exercise, uh, ride my bike, go to yoga. Mm-hmm. I, I can't do it now. I don't have time. We validate that. Yep. We, we say, I, I expect not. And then the next thing is we, we start saying there's a support program here you could go to. There's a parents, there's a Facebook page, things like this. Yeah. So then let's just ask, what next? I think through those journeys and perhaps maybe taking a deeper look at your own experience with that process, it, when we were talking, the word surrender came to mind. And I think for me personally, that's been the biggest probably struggle is surrendering and accepting that piece that parenting doesn't look the way I wanted it to. This ideal that I had in my head was a whole heck of a lot harder than I had ever anticipated. (laughs) And my kids and my family, you know, may not look the way I had envisioned and losing that and accepting that, you know, there's that piece of loss. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. It can look different. There can still be a lot of strength and a lot of good things that come out of our family and other families. Um, But you have to find it in different ways. And that's hard to accept sometimes. Talking about this is intense for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a big struggle. Probably the biggest struggle I've had personally is dealing with that, that pull. I've always said working parents and especially moms, you know, you lose either way. You feel like you're either giving up your professional identity and feel like you're giving up that, that piece of you that wants to drive and be big and do big and, you know, and have some element of professional success, but you also want your kids to be healthy and supported and successful, and you feel like you have to be there to, to make that happen. And so there, there's this intimate sacrifice that you make as a working parent, or even as a stay-home parent, because then you, you either way, you're kind of in a lose-lose situation, at least um, that's the way I've framed that for a long time, but it doesn't have to be. You know, I think... And I see having a daughter, having a mother, having a wife, an ex-wife, and a stepmother, and a mother-in-law, and you know, is that I see that women have a layer of expectation that they are, no matter what they do, 
Like the, 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 the Tide commercial is built to trigger the fact that you're not doing a good enough job. <laughs> yes. You know, <laughs> that, that you're not happy. And if you would only use this floor wax, you would be happy. They don't show men waxing the floor. Right. They don't show men struggling to cook the meal. But if you use this product, your life would be easier. And what's wrong with you in the front cover of, of men's health is a magazine we look at and say, that guy's 22 years old. I'm never going to look like that. I'm 50. <laughs> but every magazine that women look at is a comparison game. And it seems like even when you have the career you want or the, the, the home life that you want, that comparison game still goes on. Absolutely. And that probably contributes in some ways to that sense of, I can't reach this ideal at work. I can't reach this with my family. I'm struggling in all these ways. And so I'm imperfect and kind of reach this. I think it pushes into that burnout zone of, you know, even learned helplessness. No matter what I do, I'm screwing something up. I'm, you know, hurting my kids in some way or hurting my family in some way. And so why do anything? And, and that is, it's certainly that that is like one of the key statements of depression right there. It's, it's like, no matter what I do, it's not enough. And so therefore, why? Right. And then if your child, your marriage starts to struggle, then, then all of a sudden you're collecting evidence. Absolutely. And that's difficult. So kind of, it, I don't have any magic answers for that other than looking again at support and bringing forth that conversation and being willing to talk about that as parents, that you know, we're doing the best we can perhaps, and sometimes we need extra support and we need extra tools and we need to get our kids looped into additional services that we can't provide even if we are at our best selves. We can't be everything and we want to be. But well, we can't. We can't. And, and the, this, this normal is a setting on a dryer and that's the best normal <laughs> ever is. But how I'll, I'll ask because I think, I think the, the, the man brain, the masculine side of us, the masculine side of our brain, when we can't do that piece, we either get hyper competitive or we just shut it off and walk away. We, my, my version of, of, of dealing with criticism is to walk away from it. Uh, I see the a feminine version of dealing with criticism is to shrink in the face of it. Like, like it's, it's like a spiritual collapse. And when that criticism becomes internalized or self-criticism, there's no way to shrink away from it. And you're just in a spin cycle. And so how do you, how do you coach someone? How do you coach a mom who's feeling like I could have been that in the business, but then my family would have suffered. I could have been in the family and had it this, but then my business would have suffered. So that's a no win. And now both are suffering. I'm a failure. How do you, how do you get that mom into the support system that says, Hey, welcome to momhood. And we, we get it because we're all in it. And here's how you give perfection the middle finger. <laughs> what else do you do? How do you do that? How do you personally jump out of the spin cycle? I have a great group of friends where we can talk about this and we're all very open with our struggles and the imperfections and the pressures. And um, that has been the biggest um, tool that I've been able to lean on throughout this process. 
um, including, you know, close friends that I've had um, for years. I have two great sisters who are moms and in the middle of this as well. Um, they're a little bit further ahead because their kids are older, and so they're an inspiration to me because they're, they've all survived it. Um, and, you know, I see them working hard, and I have faith that I'm going to get through this. Um, and I can do that with my own mental health. <laughs> so that kind of having those inspirational folks in your life as well as those who are in the trenches with you has been the biggest help for me. But now I've, the more I talk with women about this, the more I find out that there's a lot of women out there who don't have that kind of support. Yeah. Do you personally, I mean, and, and this is just a, a personal question, like when you're scrolling Facebook or something, I don't know if you do, but when you see something about this, does it give you pause? Do you take in the motivation that there is being provided out there? Are you really looking for that individual human connection? Do you know what I mean? No. I, I'm asking if it's effective to hear inspirational things or see inspirational things about what you're going through, or do you have to physically get up and get out and be with people? Both. Okay. Both work for me. Okay. Um, you know, so I do like to read uplifting, inspirational, grounding kinds of things, and that could be a meme that's inspiring. It could be a really funny story. Um, so finding ways to, to do that and find that online. I'm not online very much, okay. um, but I do find more of that from my friends. So that's, we all have these interesting, funny, and not so funny um, <laughs> stories involving our children and the struggles. And, um, but in some way we find that we can laugh and cry together. And that's whether we're on the phone or you know, in a Facebook group or we're in person, um, that's the most helpful for me. Jennifer, if, if a, a, a mom is listening to this and she just needs to reach out and, and touch some, someone, do you have an email address you can give them just if they don't feel like they have a place to go, they can just say hey? Sure, and actually I'll give you a cell phone number. It's probably the best way to reach me. Someone could call or text. Um, it's 303-656-7347. And you said right now your, your caseload is small, you're keeping it that way, yes. so right now you're not bringing on new clients. Right, but um, so... It, Which is just going to make all the listeners want to be with you right well, now. Well, I'm not wearing a professional hat when it comes to what I'm struggling with personally, so I, I keep you. that to what, you know, I have that objectivity... Yeah. around which is more substance use treatment and working again with adults right and the the folks the parents who are struggling i refer to a lot of colleagues of mine who are in that space where they can uh, be the type of support that they need and i would be more of a peer in that struggle so jennifer i think i think you you really i mean you were very vulnerable and and transparent and honest with this conversation and i think Beyond any academia or, or professionalism, you you touched with with what you were talking about. So thanks for that. Thanks for that willingness. That's huge. Thank you for the space. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks for being on the show. This has been another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much for joining me, parents. Please remember to give us a listen, a like, a subscribe, and share us with your friends, other parents who need the support. I have a few people I'd like to thank. First is Frazier PR. 
I'd also like to thank Your Cause Consulting, and I need to give a shout out to Deepin Productions. As always, thank you to Mental Health News Radio for hosting this show. And I'd like to thank Guayaki. Guayaki has sponsored our booth here at the Winter Symposium. And of course, all my fans everywhere, all over the world, thank you so much for making Beyond Risk and Back a number one parenting podcast. Remember, parents, take care of yourself first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week.